Ad Wars. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, and he's Jeremy Wallace. You can find me at quorumreport.com, and Jeremy's work, of course, is at houstonchronicle.com. For once, Jeremy, I'm on the road instead of you. Right. Yeah, you, exactly. You're in Austin and I'm in Dallas. Yeah, I'm just taking it easy now, so it's all good. You should. <laughs> yeah, just kick your feet up, man. There's, no, there's not much to do other yeah, than nothing like 14 to do for stories the next, a day. Yeah, nothing to do in the next four to five weeks at all. I know I know you love to tweet this stuff out. Where are we when, and forgive me if you don't have this right at hand, but I bet it's right in your head. Where are we with uh, you know deadlines for registration, You know, voting's coming up in so many days, like it, just a few weeks, right? Oh, oh my God. It's right on top of us. It's like literally Tuesday, you know, this week, you, you have to be registered to vote. It's like, if you're not right. registered to vote, like you're done. The 11th is it, you know, it's like, and you're going to miss out on the governor's race. And then early voting's on the 24th. Like we are on top of it. You know, it's like, you know, it. that is when, you know, you know, if these candidates haven't made their message by now, yeah. like, what are they going to do? The cake is nearly baked. They're just going to put the icing on. That's coming up in the next uh, couple of weeks here. And this is really shifting to what we all expected, which is a bitter air war. And what I mean is the ads on television, radio, and online, they're everywhere now, right? Millions of dollars being spent to influence what you think, even though um, most minds are probably made up. Some of the public polling is starting to show that. And I'm sure that the private polling of the campaigns shows, uh, you know, maybe a tighter race than what some of the public polling shows. Uh, but we're getting to the point, Jeremy, where there's not much persuasion left to be done, but they're going to make attempts, right? So let's look at what the campaigns are arguing and what they're arguing about, right? As we have said over and over, Republicans want to focus on certain things. Democrats want to focus on other things. And it's almost like they don't even, each side might not want to talk about what the other side's talking about, right? So with Governor Abbott, he is hitting Beto and Biden. It's kind of like the debate last week. You, you, you could, you know, take a shot every time you hear, you know, the word Biden in a in an Abbott ad. Beto and Biden basically are the same person, right? And you see that on the, uh, on the billboards around the state. Um, in this commercial, you will hear the Abbott campaign make the case that it's somehow Beto's fault that this nation is going through a horrible period of inflation. Joe Biden's inflation is crushing Americans. And Biden and Beto support higher taxes that would crush us even more. That ad is called Crusher. Yeah, you can hear the you can hear the crushing of the glass. Don't you as a Texan feel crushed by what's happening, what's coming out of Washington? Now, in another ad, business leaders talk about their support for Greg Abbott, who they say is leading in a great way when it comes to the economy. Governor Abbott is a tireless champion for Texas job creators. With more than 79,000 trucking companies in Texas, ranging from Fortune 500 companies to small mom and pop movers, our businesses inject more than 734,000 good paying jobs. We know that Governor Abbott is key to continuing the state's booming economy. Now, I don't see Beto running any ads about the economy, but in response to this, he tweeted out that, quote, Abbott is the inflation governor. And then he made a few points, Jeremy. He said that property taxes are up 40% since Abbott took office, which I think I'm looking here. That, that, that's correct. Uh, electricity bills are up $45 a month thanks to his grid failure. Now, you could call it uh, Abbott's grid failure. That's, you know, the Beto spin on that, right? But I am looking at the bills and uh, you know, people's electric bills. Well, they are up. Uh, internet costs are up across rural Texas after Abbott vetoed broadband support. That's correct as well. And uh, phone bills up. This one has really gotten a lot of people upset, Jeremy. Even though relatively it's a small amount of money, it's the percentage that, that it went up by that has people sort of pissed off. Phone bills up 
to a, quote, unprecedented level. And that was also because of a veto from Greg Abbott. There was a bipartisan uh, you know, bill that was passed uh, that Abbott vetoed that would have had to do with um, you know, funding uh, a fund that deals with uh, you know, connectivity in rural areas. And so now people all across the state are paying more uh, for their phone bill to pay for that. So who wins this round, Jeremy? I won't, I won't ask you to uh, you know, make a final determination, but on the economy, I would think in this uh, you know, off-year election, in a midterm, People are generally going to blame the person who is of the party that is in the White House. And in this case, that would be Beto tied to Biden. Yeah. You know, Governor Abbott is playing the classic playbook. You know, look, you know, you know incumbent governors don't lose reelection when the economy is good. It's like it takes an, an implosion of an economy for governors to be in serious trouble. And so what Beto has to somehow overcome is this, you know, look, unemployment is you know low. You know, it's like the economy is good. Business is kind of good in Texas, you know, by and large. And so you have to kind of break through that. And you can see Abbott's made this complete shift to that point of the election, you know, where I know this is overquoted, but it's the economy stupid type stuff, you know, where it's just like – drive home the fact that, look, since I've been governor, y'all are working. If you have a job, mm-hmm. vote for me. You know, that's a pretty powerful message. And you can see the, 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 the twist on this, though, is as Abbott talks about the inflation and the problems from the federal government, it opens a lane for Beto to say, wait, that's all on your, on your watch. Like you're the governor. The, you know, and so you can see, you know, Beto is trying to make the case now everywhere he goes that, you know, the reason why we have inflation and, you know, we need better jobs and stuff like this is because Greg Abbott hasn't done a good enough job. So as odd as it is, I think, you know, Abbott is giving Beto an opening to talk about, well, if you think inflation is bad, then switch who's mm-hmm. in the in the governor's mansion. You know, you know, if Abbott's gonna make the case the economy's bad. It's really counterintuitive to what, you know, some of his other messages are. Business is good. Yeah. Vote for me. Well, Should be the clean <laughs> message, right? Yeah, right. Um, the, the economy is terrible. Um, and this was something that I saw even uh, some conservatives uh, make, make this observation. Um, Brandon Darby, for example, he's one of the guys at Breitbart, which is a you know, very conservative publication. He had tweeted out the other day that it seemed – and he said, look, hey, I'm a Republican, but it seems like – Republican office holders in Texas are all making the following argument that this is bad and this is bad and this is bad and this is bad and you should rehire me to fix it. Great point. And so that I don't I don't know at what point that resonates with people. Um let's see what Beto is hitting Abbott with on TV. So I saw this ad a few times on television this week. I first saw it, of course, online uh, on YouTube over the weekend. I think it was uh, Saturday or Sunday. It was right at this was the next ad that Beto was out with after the debate last Friday. Um, Beto has gotten the involvement in his campaign of a lot of the Uvalde families, which I didn't really expect, Jeremy. I, you know, a lot of these people and you covered that very emotional rally at the uh, at the Texas Capitol where they really got politically active. A lot of times we will see uh, victims' families, uh, you know, they'll advocate, of course, for some sort of change, but to become so involved in a partisan campaign for a statewide office, that's not exactly what I expected. Um, This, and you remember, uh, it was Matthew McConaughey who first highlighted this little girl uh, in his speech at the White House when he talked about some need for gun reform, right? And we're talking about the little girl uh, named Maite, who was the one wearing the green converse, with the uh, with the heart 
the red heart drawn on one of the shoes. And uh, you remember McConaughey banging his fist on the podium at the White House and saying that the, the fact that she had those shoes on, that's the way they were able to identify her body after the shooting. It was very emotional. Well, this ad from Beto's campaign, and we'll listen to the whole thing, um, it features Mate's mother. Maite wanted to be a marine biologist. She wore green converse with the heart drawn on the right toe. Those shoes ended up being one way to identify her body in that classroom. I never want another family to go through this. Greg Abbott has done nothing to stop the next shooting. No laws passed. Nothing to keep kids safe in school. So I'm voting Beto for Maite. Jeremy, even some Republicans I talked to about that ad said, you know, when people will say, I can't, like, I can't even watch this. This is off. I, I can't. It's too emotional. Um, especially women who are, uh, who are you know, open to voting for Republicans had said, I just can't. I can't watch it. It, it, it might be. And I've been watching this stuff a long time, Jeremy. That might be the most powerful ad I've ever seen from a partisan campaign in Texas in the decades I've been covering this. And, and, and look, it's. It's just facts, right? We have talked here on the show many times about about this, that because of the way the timeline is set up for the next legislative session, which would be the next time that anything could possibly happen on any gun legislation or even just school safety legislation, no laws will be different. This school year, it would be the next school year before anything could even take effect. Yeah, this you know this ad. I was like the, one of the first ones to write about this over the weekend, uh, and I I kind of got into it, like trying to figure out you know how this came about. You know, and it's like and so one of the things as I talked to the the Aurora campaign, uh, it you know it was actually uh, the family members who had contacted them saying, hey, we'd like to do something, do a video or an ad for y'all. And they thought, you know, it was going to be something just like they just wanted to do like a, you know, just kind of a, a, a social media type thing, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, you saw my day's, you know, mom in there and she was like, no, no, I want to do an ad. I want I want people to remember, you know, my day and mm-hmm. what we're fighting about. Uh, and they were like, OK, well, let's, let's let's do this. You know, it's like and so just to have that, you know, those family members are looking for people to hear what is happening. You know, they are like, yeah, you can see like a lot of Texas has kind of moved on from what happened Mm -hmm. on May 24th, but they want us to remember what happened there. And it's like, it's just what, what a powerful ad to kind of bring home that point that while the rest of us are going on with our regular lives, Mm -hmm. these, you know, moms and dads and brothers and sisters are about to go into this holiday season with this gigantic hole in their lives. Uh, and they don't want us to forget this. And so, like, how do you not watch that? How do you not mm-hmm. pay your respect to listen to her? You know, whether you're a Republican or Democrat voting for better or not, like, you just kind of feel that need to hear her out. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, and that's what makes this message so powerful. Everybody's going to hear that whole message because I don't think anybody could possibly turn off the set when you're hearing somebody speak from the heart like that. Uh, just, yeah. just amazing. It's a showstopper. And I'll tell you what else. Um, the ads from this group, uh, well, it's a, I guess it's a company. <laughs> um, this, this, this one that's called, uh, it could have been worse 
LLC, uh, spending apparently reportedly millions of dollars. We haven't seen exactly what uh, you know their their total spend is going to be yet because we don't have all the reports on that uh, through the Texas Ethics Commission. But um, those were running in heavy rotation, Jeremy, on Sunday during NFL football. Uh, people are seeing these ads that, that focus in a lot on Uvalde, that whole quote of it could have been worse is what Abbott said the, the day after the shooting, which I still, it's another tone deaf thing from him. I can't imagine. And I know some Republicans who have said privately to me, they can't believe that he said that the day after that. Uh, number one, they just didn't know enough about what had happened yet. Uh, and how do you go into that community and say it could have been worse when they lost all those children? So um, I think the Uvalde families are kind of a politically an X factor in this um in this election, I mean, they, they create a different dynamic uh, number in, you know, in large respect, um, because they have stayed center stage uh, in a lot of discussions over the last few months. I mean, think about the fact that on uh, on the night of the debate, they weren't allowed in to the hall. I was asked earlier this week on a radio show in San Antonio whether it matters that Beto and Abbott debated you know, to an empty hall. In South Texas, uh, that that no one, there was no live studio audience. My gut and my instinct, um, my you know, my knee jerk reaction would be to say, no, it doesn't matter. Because guess what? That has worked for Republican incumbents all the way back to two thousand six in Texas. It doesn't matter. But the X factor is that Beto gets to sit there and say, oh, the governor didn't even want to let the Uvalde families in here when they drove however many hours to be. It's got to be at least three hours from from Uvalde to, to where they were in Edinburgh. Um, they didn't get to come in because his campaign wouldn't let them. So that creates a different dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, you know, I, I you know talked about this a lot already, but you know, but these people aren't like I don't know. It's weird. It's it's not like a gun activist you know thing that's been forming for years. Like these are mm-hmm. literally just regular people, like who on May twenty third. You know, not one of these families was probably thinking about politics and who they were going to campaign for, for governor, any of that stuff. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, they did not sign up for this. And I'm sure, you know, I talked to, you know, the Cazares family. It's like they they don't want to be doing this, but it's like this Mm -hmm. they're doing it for their, their, their daughter. Like, you know, they're like they can't just like go home. It's like it feels like they're doing something. They have to get the message out that we've got to do more. So I think that's what makes it so powerful. These are just, these are people are just us. They're not like actors. They're not like some narrator, you know, on some ad somewhere. These are just like regular freaking human beings. And I think that just cuts through a lot. Yeah. Would you like to hear a great narrator in an ad? Um, Guns are a complicated issue for Beto. And I love this guy's voice. Maya, do you have this ready? The gun rights ad that this, this thing is this, it's something else. This is so old school. I want to – we'll play it here, and then, Jeremy, I'll ask you what year you think this came from. It it sounds like a real throwback of of an advertisement. Uh, They are saying in this ad, this group, National Association for Gun Rights, they're making the argument that Beto is the biggest threat – to your Second Amendment rights who has ever come along in Texas. Beto O'Rourke and his Bloomberg-backed cronies will stop at nothing until your gun rights are crushed. O'Rourke supports universal gun registration, dangerous red flag gun confiscation, and an assault weapons ban. And he's demanding you beg the government for permission to carry a firearm. Beto O'Rourke is endorsed by a New York-based gun control group that wants to ban guns commonly used for self-defense. His views on gun control are radical and out of touch with law-abiding Texans. Vote against Beto O'Rourke and his radical gun-hating allies. Gun Rights America is responsible 
responsible for the content of this advertising. GunRightsAmerica.org. That is some scary talent. I mean, I, I, I am big on an advertisement that sounds like that, Jeremy. Uh, look, let's, let's be real here. Guns are a complicated issue for Beto. He had to you know, walk a fine line on that issue during the debate, as we talked about last week. Um, and look, I, this is some that message, no matter what you think of that, you know, the voiceover quality there, um, that message is something that generally resonates with an electorate in a state where even a lot of Democrats are proud gun owners. Yeah, what well, what a transition for Beto. And I know like look, you know, he keeps, you know, trying to kind of work the language on this thing, but like, you know, this is a very different guy. And I don't know if you remember, there was a point where he went on the Chad Hasty show, you know, back early in that Senate campaign. Yeah, and yeah. he mm-hmm. talked about how he's a proud gun owner and, you know, how his family you know, it was raised around guns. And I I think he even said something he had used AR-15s, you know, in the past. So it's like, you know, he, he was like the gun, pro-gun kind of guy. And right. so it's like he really kind of like laid it on pretty heavy. And then to be the guy who then during the presidential campaign says, I want to take your AR-15s and AK-47s, mm-hmm. uh, you're just like, OK, so how do you walk that back? And as as delicate as he has been, and I think he's been pretty articulate in explaining what happened and why he said what he did and what his goals are now compared to what they were then, there's a lot of complication and nuance in that. But as we've said many a time, there's (laughs) in in a political campaign, simple answers win the day. And in this case, the simple answer is what you just heard. This guy wants to crush your gun rights. <laughs> why, why was everything crushing today? I don't, I don't get this. You know, all these ads are about crushing the economy, crushing your gun rights, crushing, crush, 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 crush. But anyhow, nonetheless, right. it's like I, I, I'm, you know, Beto just, this is a powerful message for those West Texas, you know, folks, those South Texas folks that Beto Absolutely. really needs because that is a block in a lot of people's head. The guy that was trying to be, you know, this bipartisan Second Amendment defender doesn't sound like that today. You know, right. it's like, and I think that's where like there's an opening for Abbott and the Republicans to kind of tamp down Beto's, you know, support out there. Absolutely, uh, do not underestimate the uh, the power of the message of this message in Texas. This person wants to take your guns away. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that 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 just hits people right in the face. Yeah. And a lot of people don't remember he was talking about AR-15s or AK-47. Right. The message is like, oh, no, he just wanted everybody's guns. Right. Is that what he said? Right. It's like, no, no, that's not what he said. He was spe- specifically talking about a couple of different you know, types of mm-hmm. weapons. But that's lost in the ether sphere by now. You know, now it's just like this guy hates guns. Yeah. You know, you know who uh, he doesn't hate? But he might have some issue with after an event uh, last weekend is Willie Nelson. So, Jeremy, you were there, and I think that the the idea was that Willie was going to say a lot about Beto, and then that didn't really happen. Yeah, look, you you can imagine how much they had to twist my arm to go cover Willie Nelson uh, yeah, on a Sunday but afternoon can I tell you, at a small can I tell you something? bar. Wait, wait. Before you get into that, can I tell you something? Um, when I saw that that they were promoting that that his campaign was promoting that Willie Nelson would be in Austin for this rally, I texted a friend who is familiar with your work. I texted a friend and said, "Well, Jeremy's weekend is set. 
<laughs> I know what he's doing. Yeah, th- 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 there's a lot of people who like really have to work terrible jobs on a Sunday, some shift that they really don't want. And like, and I just had like, yeah, I am you know being paid right now to watch Willie Nelson to see mm-hmm. what he sings and what he says. And so that's not living a bad dream. you know lot in life. So I, I get is, that. Um, you live in the dream. Did yeah, you say go. much about Beto at all? But, well, that was what was so strange about it. It had originally been pitched to me as like this was going to be a rally with you know uh, Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson was going to say some stuff, and you know, and I was cautioned. You know, this isn't a full show. It's like this. He's not going to play. He's not going to have the whole band with him. He might just play a song or two, and that's it. You know, it's like. But what it turned out to be was <laughs> something completely different. It was a rally for Beto, where Beto spoke did his thing and then yeah. Willie came out and played a good six or seven songs uh you know had the crowd going uh he worked Beto into one of the songs you know mm-hmm. it's like if you if you don't like him vote him out and you're like we want Beto as governor or something like that and Somebody then that was it. it then he walked away <laughs> and I'm like wait wait <laughs> I want to talk to Willie Nelson and Beto O'Rourke right. I want to ask a question of that like what can you say about this race you know why yeah. you know he didn't say anything about you know we got to legalize marijuana or we got to you know stop this extremist politics I wanted to hear something else from Willie and I just didn't get it so there I was you know at the Moon Tower Saloon you know hanging out next to you know Willie Nelson's bus begging mm-hmm. to be able to get on the bus to ask one or two simple questions and I failed miserably. Listen, um, when you have been at it as long as Willie Nelson, who is pushing 90 years old, 89 year old Texas icon and a legend. One of the things that's definitely going to be a pronounced difference between his activism and a young person, say a millennial or or younger uh, is the, the millennial is going to say a lot of things. The 90 year old is just going to do it. Uh, He shows up, and he's just like, I'm going to get these people fired up and I'm going to play some songs. And he's not even going to m- maybe talk about pot. He might just smoke it in front of them. Right. I don't, <laughs> I don't think he did that at that particular event. But I can I guarantee you this because I've been on Willie Nelson's bus at the, at the Austin Rodeo. A friend of mine was doing um, a, a documentary piece that involved uh, Willie Nelson. So I was hanging out on the bus. And let me tell you something. I didn't see any pot smoking, but there were snacks everywhere. All right. If, if anybody got the munchies. They were covered on that, uh, <laughs> Jeremy. Um, AG's race. Let me ask you about this. So I get this question all the time. You do too, I'm sure. And there's been a lot written about it. The idea that because of what public polling looks like, uh, you know, for all of the statewide campaigns, it looks like the one that Democrats might actually have a shot at is one that doesn't get talked about as much, which is the attorney general's race. Ken Paxton, uh, who has been attorney general, this is his second term going for a third term. And he is, he's the Republican, so maybe he's unbeatable, but he has so much personal baggage. And as we have pointed out here, of all the statewide office holders who are Republicans in Texas, he is the most closely aligned with former President Trump, which I think also kind of qualifies as baggage in this political environment. It's almost like, as, as we said uh, on a couple of, uh, couple of shows ago, um, it's almost as if this could be the midterms for Biden and for former President Trump, because Trump just won't go away. You know, he's in the news every day. Unlike former other former presidents, he just won't go away. He won't ride off into the sunset. As you said before, he won't just go, you know, like George W. Bush and paint dogs and landscapes and things like that. He just won't do it. That, he, well, don't Trump say it be, like that. You make it sound like they're not good paintings. Like he's I think they're great paintings. Paint. It's good, man. 
I think they're great paintings. And at this point, Trump could be in the post-presidency part of his career where he's putting out a book of his paintings. <laughs> but he's not doing that. Instead, he instead he's still having court fights about everything. And we'll see what happens with all of that. But 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 look, um, I think this was a fair question from Jason Whiteley at WFAA here in Dallas, where I am today. He had Rochelle Garza, who's the Democratic challenger, he had her on his Sunday show. And basically the point that Whiteley is making is that, look, people don't really know who you are, Rochelle Garza. People have, most people have never heard of you, but this is still a close race. So what that would tell me as, as a seasoned veteran of Texas politics, what that would tell me is that that means there's a big anti-Paxton vote and it might even cl include some Republicans. Right. So here's what Garza had to say about that. Uh, the polling is showing that Ken Paxton is weak and we are closing in on him. We need to continue reaching those independent voters and letting them know about Ken Paxton's criminality. The fact that he's been under indictment for more than seven years without trial, uh, that he may lose his law license and he's under FBI investigation. I'm here to protect Texas families and to fight for our children's future. And that's what we need to tell people and let them know that we can have an attorney general that believes in transparency and accountability and will fight for them. Jeremy, where do you make uh, where we are with this race? It's uh, I think look, if, if this was a candidate who had a lot of resources, if this was a candidate who people had any clue who she was, which look, the polling says that they don't. Right. I mean, a, and part of part of why people don't know who she is is because she doesn't have any money. This is this is Texas. I mean, to, to build name ID in this state, you almost have to be a national figure because it's a state of almost 30 million people, almost 31 million people. You know, they undercounted us in the census. And that was sort of on purpose. Um, point is, you have to have millions and millions and millions of dollars to put yourself on TV to have a robust campaign operation. And she just doesn't. If she did, I would say, hey, this is almost definitely the one where they would punch through. But I can't get there in, just in looking at, at it as it, you know, as it lies today, Jeremy. What do you think? Yeah, this is just not a separate game, you know, compared to the governor's race. And what I mean is that, uh, you know, the governor's race is just everything about, you know, creating the turnout in this election cycle. Nobody else has enough money or enough name recognition or enough of a following quite honestly, on either side to really generate turnout. There's not like a march to the polls for Glenn Hager. There's not a march to the polls for Rochelle Garza. It's like these folks, you know, are kind of at the whim of what happens at the top of the ticket. Uh, look, you can do things to make that better. If you had more money, you know, absolutely. You, you know, you'd want Garza out there so much earlier, you know, trying to explain who she is, kind of almost doing like what Beto did in 2017 before he ran in 2018, where he spent basically all 2017 trying to tell us who the heck he was, you know, if anybody would listen, right? It's right. like, and you almost need to do that. If you're going to run in the state, if you want good name ID, you just got to get out there. And I think mm -hmm. so many candidates have a hard time doing that. And partly because, look, you know, <laughs> the obvious, you know, guy here saying, you know, Texas is big. <laughs> yes. It's a big, stupid place in terms of like to try to campaign from El Paso to Beaumont. Good luck. It's like, and that's where like all these statewides who are trying to take on incumbent, they have to try to get this message out. You can, you know, even in Beto's case, you can speak to all the rallies you want at a college campus, but there's still 17 million other Texans who are going to vote you know, or who could vote who aren't in that room. It's like, how do you reach them? You know, it's like, and you, so you got to get up on the air. And I, I like, mm -hmm. I, I wonder if she's been able to make enough of a case. It seems like she should have had, 
you know, have been more aggressive in raising money to go after mm-hmm. Paxton. Like she may still end up winning, you know, it's like, and, and I think she's, a, you know, there's lots of reasons to consider her a good candidate, but I yeah. think, boy, like if she had had an earlier start and better finances, you mm-hmm. know, and better fundraising, you know, boy, what kind of a race could this be? You know, imagine an ad that's running, you know, statewide during a Dallas Cowboys football game where she's like, you know, just pounding Paxton, you know, for being at the you know January 6th rally, mm-hmm. you know, and just kind of, you know, it's just gold, you know, to kind of work off. But she can't really she's got to measure her, you know, her, her, her TV ads because she just doesn't have a ton of money. Yeah, because Paxton is so close to Trump, she could here. I put it this way. She could win for free. Right. It, it could be because that happens, uh, you know, in 2010, Republicans won for free all over the place when there was all that backlash to former, former President Obama. Um, and in 2006, um, there were Democrats that won all over the place for free because of backlash to then George W. Bush, who I mentioned earlier and whose paintings are great. I'm not saying that they're terrible, Jeremy. But <laughs> but look, I have always thought that robust primaries for Democrats statewide in Texas would be a good thing because, look, it's a party that's been sort of adrift. And I don't think I'm saying anything that's too controversial here. I probably get some hate mail from some Democrats, but but they've been adrift, ineffective. This has been going on a long time, right? And I always thought that a robust primary, some some maybe even some nasty primaries, which they ended up having this year, would be a good thing for them because primaries are kind of where the parties figure out which direction they want to go. You know, it's the the base of the party shows up to shape the party through choosing the nominees. But the flip side of that is we had in the AG's race and we had in the in the uh, race for lieutenant governor, you had these campaigns having to spend money earlier in the year to keep campaigning when they really need all their ammunition for the fall, uh, because look, money just isn't going to come their way in Texas, uh, you know, unless it's the race for governor, with Beto O'Rourke and Greg Abbott being the marquee race once again. But for all the others, it's every man and woman for themselves. Yeah. And, and here's my pep talk for the Democrats on this. Just remember, like they in 2018, one. Justin Nelson, not saying he wasn't a brilliant candidate in his own right, but he didn't really have any money and he like people didn't know who he was. But he came really close to beating Ken Paxton. You know, it's like th- that was a really close race. And so and and why was that? Because there was so much turnout and so much energy in the electorate, uh, you know, again, partly brought by the U.S. Senate campaign, partly by the governor's race and you know, mm-hmm. partly by all that national spending. So the Democrats, you know, like, you know, Garza, I think in a lot of ways might be a better candidate than mm-hmm. you know, Justin Nelson was. So that kind of gives you hope. But here's yep. the difference. And I know I've talked about this before, but like there's no other game in town except for the governor's race. There's no U.S. Senate race. The congressional races aren't, you know, as competitive as they were in 2018. So they're not driving additional turnout. All the turnout in this race is based on just people who do their civic duty and always vote and whatever Abbott and Beto can bring to the party. There's nothing yeah. else that's driving that turnout right now on a statewide level. And so like, you know, Garza and, you know, folks just like, again, they're at the whim kind of of that governor's race. And you yeah. can see why that is so important to the whole thing, how they are framed and how much they can get to the polls really is going to determine, you know, who our next attorney general really is going to be. Yeah. One thing that I have become uh, uniquely skilled at over the years, Jeremy, is is anticipating what kind of uh, pushback I'm going to get to whatever I just said. And so I'm, I'm sitting there thinking about this. So I just said that Democrats could benefit from 
you know, a rough primary, right? Because it could, it could help them shape their their party in a way and, and, you know, give them some direction. In the attorney general's race, there was also a nasty primary for AG, right? And it went to a runoff also, right? So Paxton wasn't just assured, you know, back in March that he was, he was going to be the guy. I think that in this race, and because this is the first midterm where we don't have one punch straight ticket voting, there are a lot of Republicans who may skip this one, right? There, yeah. there are people throughout the party, and it's not just the old school George W. Bush or George H. W. Bush types. It's also the Louis Gohmert types, right? At least some of them, right? Who who had serious objection to Paxton's personal legal issues. I mean, there, there are folks who would be loyal to former President Trump who would also say that actually, you know, I like Trump, but this guy has too many legal problems, which is honestly a hilarious thing to say if you also support President Trump. But the fact is there were a lot of people from throughout the, the TLR types, the Texans for Lawsuit Reform types, the old school business Republicans, a lot of these folks who had serious issues with Paxton. And that doesn't mean that he didn't dominate Bush in the in the runoff. I would say one of the reasons Paxton dominated Bush you know, in, in such a, a huge way in that runoff was because Bush wasn't really offering the alternative of being the old school Bush kind of Republican, right? He was, he was trying to do the opposite. Bush, Bush was trying to be... Uh, he was, if, if, uh, if Paxton was Dr. Pepper, Bush was trying to be Mr. Pibb, right? <laughs> like, hey, it's like, it's just, it's just fine. I saw some comedian one time, he was talking about, uh, trying to order Dr. Pepper at a, at a restaurant. He asked the guy behind the counter for Dr. Pepper and the guy behind the counter says, well, is Mr. Pibb okay? And the guy says, well, is Monopoly money okay to, to pay you with? No, that's, it's not okay. I asked for Dr. Pepper. If you push the butt, if you go to the soda fountain and you push the button for Coke, Coke better come out, right? And so the fact is that if if no one offered a real alternative other than, hey, I'm just as Trumpy as the other guy, uh, people are going to go with the one that they see as the genuine article, the, the original Coke formula. Well, and, and, and quite honestly, uh, this is going to sound weird, but Bush kind of was running as an anti-Bush. You know, which yes. is just like, oh my God! It's like that, it, let's take the soda, you know, theory a little bit further. Extend that like, metaphor. This is like the guy I, from Dr. Yeah, Pepper running stuff. against Dr. Pepper. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. You you can't you can't be doing this. It's like you know, it's a, uh, it was yeah. weird. Like George P. Whatever. Like he had so many potential <laughs> strengths, and he played into no, right. none of them. It's like he had the potential of being really strong in Houston because Didn't of his that. family's legacy there. And then he cut the, the, the Houston out of hurricane mm -hmm. money. And it's like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? You know, and then he potentially has this Bush dynasty of this like, you know, pro-business, pro you know, uh, Didn't do you that. know small government, mm -hmm. you know, less mm -hmm. taxes type Republican that could kind of get behind him. And instead he says, I'm not one of those Bushes. I'm the good Bush. It's like, what? It's like, get out of here. <laughs> he, I think this was pretty close to a quote from one of his commercials. He said, I'm not that kind of George Bush. It was something like that. It was, what are you, what are you doing? I am just, I don't know. That was, I, and I think to a lot, I'm channeling the frustration of a lot of Republicans. What the hell was that? I heard that <laughs> from Republicans. I heard that from Republicans all throughout that runoff. Um, just about enough show, but I do want to mention that uh, the reason I'm here in Dallas is for these Texas uh, OU fundraisers that go on uh, during the weekend of the Red River shootout. Some people said that now it's Red River rivalry, which try saying that six times fast. Red River rivalry. 
you'll have a problem with it. Uh, it was always called the Red River Shootout, which is easier to say for a long time. And then they started calling it the other. And, and, and believe me, there's a lot of people in Dallas who still won't call it the Red River rivalry. Um, but one of the things that kind of happens under the surface here, Jeremy, and even for people who pay attention to Texas politics may not know this, is that statewide office holders and you know state legislators and others, they'll hold fundraisers uh, this the entire weekend. There were some yesterday uh, on Thursday. And then this afternoon, I think I have 10 receptions to try to go to uh, before you could do if you wanted to, you could go to fundraisers from, I think, eight o'clock this morning until about 10 o'clock tonight. Now, I'm not doing that, but it is nice to you know go around and see people who would normally be at the Capitol. It's a lot of lobbyists and legislators and their staffers and people like that. I was talking with a friend earlier today who was making the point that this is the first time since the pandemic uh, hit back in 2020. This is the first time these fundraisers are really being done again this weekend. Of course, in 2020, they didn't do them because of the pandemic. Last year, they could have gone on and done them, but no one wanted to do it because everybody was sick of everybody else at the Texas Capitol because of the quorum break you know, where the Democrats ran to Washington and you know the legislating took eight or nine months, however long it took them to pass that uh, that elections bill, which I still would say is completely unnecessary, uh, that, that basically the entire capital community had been put through a shredder last year, at, you know, at the uh, you know at the behest of state leadership, so that they could offer up that red meat buffet that you've talked about before. So they didn't do these fundraisers uh, then last year either, but now they're coming back, and I don't think that they're ever going to come back in quite the same way that they were maybe five years ago. And this is true with a lot of things, um, you know, in a, I'll, I'll use the term post-pandemic, even though some people will object to that. The president of the United States said something similar, by the way. But, but after the pandemic became part of our lives, uh, there are certain things that are just not going to go back to the way they were before, right? I mean, no, no doubt. And I, I do think after two years of not doing these fundraisers, there are a lot of legislators who don't want to go back and, and do it the way that it was done uh, years ago. I mean, you, you can still get, um, for this weekend which is, you know, flooded with UT and OU fans, of course. And it's interesting, the, uh, the uh, you know, the Oklahoma folks, the Sooners, you know, they never have a home game when we do that. It's always in Dallas, right? It's always in Texas. And I remember a news conference, former governor, uh, the late governor, Ann Richards, was doing this news conference uh, where there was a national sports reporter, probably ABC Sports or something. She, they, she was asked that question. Governor, is it fair that the Sooners never get a home game? that it's always in Dallas, right? And of course they do it because this is the place that's in, basically in between Oklahoma City and Austin, um, Norman and Austin, and th that has a stadium that can accommodate that, the Cotton Bowl, right? Uh, but Governor Richards, you know, she was real good at avoiding questions that she just didn't want to answer, but she wasn't nasty about it. Friend of mine named Roger Emmerich, who before he passed away, was the stadium voice of the Dallas Cowboys here, here in DFW. Uh, I worked with him at CBS News in Dallas. Uh, Governor Richards knew that Roger not only covered politics, but also covered sports. So it was this as, uh, this crush of national reporters asking about Texas OU weekend. And Governor Richards said, you know, I'm going to let Roger Emmerich handle that question. And so, <laughs> so he's there to cover the news conference. The TV cameras all turn on him. And he starts talking about the tradition of, you know, Texas and, and OU getting together in this game. And, and he gives them the reasons I just said, which is there's no no other stadium between the two schools where they could all you know flock to. Uh, and it is interesting, Jeremy, when you're in Dallas for this event, I mean, you see people wearing the colors of both in pretty equal numbers. And 
if you just live in Dallas, which I did for three years, you kind of get the same thing. There's a lot of Oklahoma people who live here, right? A lot of a lot of Sooner fans who live here in DFW. So it is a really cool tradition. But you know, you were making the point when we were doing our pre-show chat that you know, when it comes to this COVID stuff, I mean, think about this, right? You you made this point during the debate last week. COVID wasn't mentioned once. Yeah. Who they would have imagine. imagined two years ago if somebody said, hey, uh, coming up in the governor's race in a couple of years, uh, they won't even mention COVID in any of their ads or the debate or anything. Yeah. Imagine like after all of the Texans who have passed away, you know, it's just like like even just a year ago, if you had told me, oh, by the way, the word COVID will not be mentioned in any campaigns you know, we're not even going to talk about the people who died. We're not going to talk about how anybody handled it, Republican or Democrat. It's just going to be about everything but. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. part of it, like, you know, like you said, so it's it's kind of opened the world back to, you know, what's going to happen up in Dallas this weekend. Mm-hmm. But look at what's also done for campaigning. You know, like, you know, like for those of us who had to try to cover the 2020 campaign cycle from one Zoom call to the next, it was like mm-hmm. the lamest experience of your life. You know, it's like it's just, you know, it's like. You know, like just like the politicians, it's like us journalists who are covering this thing. Like, you don't mind being on the road covering this stuff, being in rallies, being at events, and seeing the faces and meeting the voters. Oh, right. But when you can't meet any of those people, and it's only the speech that you're getting boring, everywhere, it boring. drives you crazy after a while. But so now what we have is like, I don't know if, if people have been watching, like you know, Bedro Work's been doing these uh, college tour stops, and like you know, he did one in, in at uh, Texas State. In down in San Marcos, where it's just deafening. You have like thousands of kids packed into this, you know, room. And then there were thousands more outside who couldn't even get in, but just wanted to be there to get the selfie with Beto. Right. And you're Real like, campaign. you didn't get the, any of that in 2020. Imagine if MJ Hager, you know, or, you know, John Cornyn, you know, had that chance to be in these big crowds and get that energy going. How much different could that have cycle have been? Well, and, um, you know, Democrats will take issue with this. They're, they're going to take issue with a few things I said during the show. But I was out on the campaign trail during 2020 because Republicans at the legislative level were getting out into the field and they were doing block walking when Democrats said that they wouldn't do that. And the criticism I have of Democrats for, the, for just for that cycle that year, I'll have other criticisms for Democrats later. But just for that cycle, it was that they didn't really follow the science when it came to the spread of COVID, um, you know, specific to the question of field operations and campaigns, I watched Republicans do block walking with, ma- and you know, now Republicans will act like only sissies will wear masks. At that time, their block Republican block walkers were wearing masks. Yep. They would go to a home. I watched them do it. They would knock on the door. They would put, uh, you know, a piece of campaign literature on the doorknob, knock on the door, and then step back ten feet. And then, if a person came to the door, they could talk to them. Or if the person wasn't comfortable with it, they would just move on. And yeah. and and after they had moved on, the person knew that there was campaign literature there on the door. Democrats absolutely refused to do that and stayed on the Zooms forever. And now there were a few exceptions to that. I know I'll hear from some people who will say, well, actually, some Democrats block walked. And the point I would make is those are the Democrats who won that year in the legislative races. So I think I have my bases covered on that. All right. It, it, is that enough show? I think we're yes. done here. We're full (laughs) Jeremy just sweeps the hand. Yes, we're done. That's it. All right. If this is your favorite show, you know it is. Tell everybody that you love it. Tell three friends. Tell them to tell four friends and that they should tell five friends. That's the Ponzi scheme now. You should also have them subscribe 
Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, however you listen to your favorite podcasts. It's all good. Subscribe at quorumreport.com and houstonchronicle.com, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.